say good morning. This is Arthur Bush, and you're listening to Radio Free Flint, and we have a wonderful guest today, and I'm really excited about this. It's taken me a very long time to get this podcast going, so I had to turn my phone off. And we have Skip Harbin, who uh, is a legend in Flint in, uh, in the community school, uh, both in Grand Blank and Southwestern. And Skip uh, is also a Flintstone. So without any further ado, I wore this Spartan hat for you today, Skip. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a Michigan fan, but uh, I'll go with you, Art. Okay, just for today. And uh, Skip, um, you went to Southwestern High School. What class did you graduate in? I was in the class of 68. So we had our 50-year reunion two years ago. So uh, it's been 52 years uh, since I was a student at Southwestern. Wow. And, and of course, you were a star fullback on that team, correct? Well, I played fullback. I was captain of the team. I don't know about star, but uh, we had a, a good team. I enjoyed playing football, and I played two years at Ferris State College and enjoyed that. Uh, played on the first undefeated football team at Ferris, and uh, three years ago, we were inducted into the uh, Ferris State Hall of Fame. Wow. Now, tell me, I'm interested in Southwestern first, and then we'll move to Ferris. Okay. Who, who were some of your teammates there that you, that you remember? Well, Gary Alford, who became a homicide detective in Flint. Uh, Mitch Moore also became a police officer in Flint. I, I guess the number one would be Butch Carpenter. He and I were both captains of the team. And Butch went on and played four years at University of Michigan, played in the Rose Bowl. And sorry to say, he passed away at 27 years of old, 27 years of age. Wow. And so kind of missed Butch, but uh, he was a heck of a guy. Wow. And uh, what position did he play? He played a tight end and defensive end. And who was the quarterback on that team? Gary Wilson. Gary Wilson, Zimmerman kid. Yeah, he played quarterback. Now, you had one of my favorites at that time, I believe, Gary Sobey. Was that his? Was that his? Gary Sobey was, was a few years before me. He graduated from Southwestern in 1965 the same year my uh, brother did. So he played baseball there at Southwestern and uh, he graduated in 65, three years before I was there. Now Skip, you spent a lot of your life, actually most all of your professional life has been working with young people in some capacity or another. Uh, let's uh, take me a little bit uh, around your career and where, where you've been and some of the positions that you've held. Okay, well I graduated in 1972 from Eastern Michigan and I got a teaching position at McKinley Junior High. I taught there one year, was a ninth grade football coach. Then I became a community school director in Flint. I was at Homedale Elementary for five years, and then I became uh, the community school director in 1977 at Flint Southwestern High School. And I was there until 82, and then in 82, I became the community school director at Longfellow Middle School, and I was there until 89 uh, when they phased out the uh, community school director program. Now tell, tell us a little bit, uh, because there's going to be people who are going to listen to this from other places, a little bit, just a short version of what is a community school director and what, what is that program all about? Well, that was the lifeblood of Flint schools for a number of years. Uh, we provided all kinds of programs and activities for people in the community from preschoolers all the way up to senior citizens. We uh, helped coach the elementary and middle school athletic teams. Uh, to provide the kids with some good, clean, wholesome athletics, teach them things like sportsmanship, teamwork, working hard, all those things that you learn in sports. 
And uh, we, we also did the Flint Olympian and Canusa Games in the summer, which is the biggest program in Flint uh, for a number of years for kids to participate in. Uh, so that it pretty much wraps it up. I mean, we were kind of like the do-everything kind of guy. We wore the white hat. We provided great opportunities for kids, adults, and uh, I enjoyed that job probably more than any job I've ever had. So the, the Canusa Games were something else, uh, and that tradition in Flint still continues, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It sure does. And they've tied in with the Bobby Krim Foundation. And the Bobby Krim Foundation is now one of the major sponsors of the Flint Olympian and Canusa Games. Uh, the Flint schools uh, no longer kind of oversees that. It's pretty much under the uh, guidance of the uh, Bobby Krim Foundation. And they've got a lot more resources and things to provide that uh, the Flint schools just couldn't provide anymore. So uh, that is uh, essentially a partnership between a sister city, Hamilton, Ontario, and those in the city of Flint. And then families and uh, individuals compete uh, against uh, families and individuals in the other uh, country, right? Yeah, that was, the big part of that, more than the competition, was that when you go to Canada and participate there as an athlete, you live in the home of another athlete who you're probably competing against. So it's that fellowship, goodwill, uh, international relations that you uh, develop in uh, more so than the competition. Of course, you always want to beat Canada, but again, winning or losing was not the most important thing. The most important thing was developing those relationships with another country, people from another country, and uh, it was it was fun. It was great times. Now, uh, that program has been ongoing for how many years? Do you know? Yes, it started at pretty sure in 1957. And so they well past their 50th anniversary was in uh, 2007. And so you had 13. So they're about, uh, about 63 years now they've been going strong in Flint. And the community school director, explain to, explain to the listeners what a community school director does. What, what is, you know, just what are your activities when you're a school director, uh, community school Oh, shoot, there's you know, all kinds of activities, uh, preschool reading, art for the three and four year old, uh, uh, adult high school completion classes, uh, recreation activities, a uh, men's club, teen club, um, providing uh, like an open night for uh, women to come in and play volleyball, have a night where senior citizens come in and square dance and sit and play cards, have a good time, have potlucks. Uh, it was just a gathering place. The uh, community school was the haven, was the lifeblood of each individual community. And when we had to start closing schools in Flint, that was probably my hardest decision. You're probably getting this later when I was a Flint board member was having to close schools. And we closed schools. A lot of those schools, the communities depended on those schools for those activities, for that place to go and gather. And when you start closing community schools, they lost that sense of community. And you start seeing some of these communities deteriorate as a result. Right. So I, I, I kind of I tie in the loss of the community education program per se with the community school directors in, in, in the uh, not really deterioration, I want to say, of Flint. But, in you know, a lot of people exited Flint. They uh, went out to the uh, suburbs, looked for different things to do uh, because we just couldn't provide the same things that they used to provide. Now, you grew up in the city on the south end of Flint uh, near Freeman School. What were an example of some of the activities you participated in as uh, as a youngster? Okay, well, I, I grew up uh, actually by Lincoln School. I was at Lincoln School from kindergarten through fifth grade. And at that time, 
Uh, they had a I know I know the name of every community school director that I came into contact with from the 50s all the way up to the 60s. Uh, it was Al Koth and Bob Shaw at Lincoln, and uh, they they're the ones that taught me how to golf, uh, much to my chagrin. But I learned how to golf at in the fourth and fifth grade at Lincoln School. I then moved on to uh, sixth grade. We moved our, uh, in the neighborhood of Freeman School, and the community school director there was Mel Harold, and we had Bob Callis and uh, uh, Mc, Dick McMillan. Uh, they were the community school directors there for a number of years. Then I went on to McKinley, and Joe Fisher was the community school director there. And then on to Southwestern, where Dan Cady was the community school director. And then I later became the community school director of Southwestern. So it was kind of neat going full circle like that. And Dan Cady became the uh, the director and chief engineer of community schools at, at, at a national level. I think he worked for several years at the end of his career doing that. Yes, he was at the National Center for Community Education, which was on Avon Street. And he was also at one time president of the National Community Education Association. So Dan, Dan really was the guru of community education in Flint for a number of years. Yeah, we've had uh, a guest or two spoke about people coming here from other places to study things such as uh, the community radio station that was uh, begun. WFBE, and uh, and I assume there were other spheres where people came from even other countries to study Flint. Oh, oh yeah. To give you an idea of how big community education was in Flint back in the 60s and into the 70s, down at the administration building for the Flint Community Schools, they had an office. It was called Conference and Visitations. They had two full-time staff members, and their primary job was to uh, provide uh, conferences and services for people coming from other states, other countries into the United, into Michigan, into Flint. And uh, they uh, showed them how to take community school program concept back to their community. So, oh yeah, it was big time. Like I say, when you have a full-time office with two full-time staff members providing these things for other people to take community education back, it, it was, it was something. So Flint was a place that people didn't want to run from in those days. They wanted to come to. Oh, no question. That was the Flint. We had people move into Flint because of the schools. And uh, it's sad the way things have gone now. To give you an example here, in the late 60s, there were 47,000 students in the Flint Community Schools. There's less than 4,000 students in the Flint Community Schools now. Wow. Now, uh, Skip, you, at least in my mind, it's one of the reasons I called you, is you represent and are the epitome um, of Flint's heyday, so to speak. You uh, were raised in the 60s in Flint, and uh, you participated in all kinds of activities. I assume you had a flag football team someplace in there at some point. Oh, yeah, in, at sixth grade at McKinley, or excuse me, at Freeman. And then we had Mott football program at McKinley, and uh, that was provided by the Mott Foundation on Saturday mornings. We'd go there, and a lot of times the high school athletes along with maybe a coach or a teacher from the school there would coach us. And then we played a few games down at Atwood Stadium to, to end the season. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was big. Yeah, sports were always big in Flint. In fact, I, people might ask me why Flint is such a resilient and tough town. And I think it, it, the foundation is the athletics and sports programs. That is what really uh, fed Flint. And uh, you look at all the state championships Flint used to win, Central, Northern, Southwestern, Northwestern. I mean, for years – a year didn't go by that a Flint school didn't win a state championship in one sport or another. 
and uh, and it's it's sad now that uh, we've we've gone down that we don't have uh, our sports teams have really uh, haven't been doing as well as they have in the past, and uh, that's what really bothers me a lot. It seems to have shifted in many respects to private schools. Um, of course, Powers Powers Catholic is a great tradition. Uh, and some of the schools, Detroit Country Day, I think of, and some of the others on the west side of the state uh, seem to have taken up that, uh, that vacuum, if you will, of, of the uh, demise of public schools. Sure. Anyway, I want to get back to talking about you. Almost at every stage of your life, you've, you've benefited, it seems like, whether it was football or academics, or community activity, and then you went back to be a leader in in that in that system. What was it about that uh, upbringing of yours that made you want to do that and stay and help the people of Flint the way you did? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with growing up in Flint. My dad was a Flint police officer for 25 years, and uh, he was an old school kind of dad, and uh, you uh, always gave back to the community that you, you, you brought up in, and he taught me that. He taught me that, you know what, uh, we were offered a lot of things in Flint, and, and we owe we it to Flint to give some things back, and so I really feel that working with the kids in Flint was probably my high point of my career. I did go on and was the uh, assistant principal and um, athletic director at Grand Blank Middle School, and the good, fun part about that was being the athletic director and working with kids. That's always been the most fun part of my life is in my job is working with kids. That's, that's what it's, it's a rewarding thing. So you, you went and moved to suburbia to the nice community of Grand Blank and you finished your career there. And uh, when you retired, what was the position you held? What was that art? What position did you last hold in the Grand Blank? I, I was the assistant principal athletic director at Grand Blank East middle school. And I, so I retired after 41 years in education and uh, 25 in Flint, 16 in Grand Blank. And one thing I found out was whether you're from Flint or from Grand Blank, kids are the same. Kids are the same. They, uh, they're no different. You know, you know, kids are brought up under different circumstances and, and that you always think the haves and the have nots. But you know, there's really they all have. They're all good kids. And uh, kids from Flint were, were just as good as the kids from Grand Blank. The Grand Blank kids were just as good as the kids in Flint. So I don't like to compare the two as one's better than the other because I don't think that's the case. And um, one of the things that interested me is to watch you um, rather reluctantly, I think, get involved in the school board, uh, get, get involved in a position in the Flint Public Schools where uh, somehow somebody signed you up. I'm not sure how that worked. Tell us that, how you got interested in serving on the school board. And well, 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 I've lived in Flint all my life. I still live in Flint, so I'm going on 70 years old, and I've never left Flint, so I, I have my roots in Flint. After I left the uh, Flint school system, that made me eligible to be able to run for the Flint board. As a school employee, you cannot run for the Board of Education because as an employee, you can't run for the school board in Flint. So when I started working in Grand Blank, that left the open for me to then run for the school board. And some people mentioned to me with my experience as a teacher, coach, community school director, administrator in Flint, that maybe I could bring some ideas to the board of education. So in 2001, I was elected to a six-year term and served on the board for five years, uh, two years as the president of the Flint Board of Education. 
And I mentioned earlier, the hardest decision we have to make as a board is developing a budget. And, you know, they say you always make decisions that are in the best interest of kids. Well, the problem is sometimes financial reasons don't allow you to do that. Uh, do you put a new roof on a building or do you buy some more technology? Do you put a new boiler in a building or do you buy new textbooks? I mean, you, the, the yin and yang with that was really, really frustrating because you only had so much money to spend and you had to maintain buildings that were deteriorating. But at the same time, that was taking away money from the kids and the education. So that was the most frustrating part about being on the Board of Education and that along with having to close schools. That, that was tough. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's always, um, I've always had questions about, and that is we, we saw Michigan get into the charter school business, and it seems almost as though as soon as the charter school business came along, then uh, the population of the, uh, of the Flint public schools started to diminish. What effect do you think this, the uh, charter school movement in Michigan has had on the Flint Public School District? Well, I, th I think what's happened is it's drained from the school districts like Flint, where that's where, the, when they start losing kids, you start losing state aid money. And state aid money helps pay for the bills and pays for the uh, teacher salaries, pays for technology, pays for the maintenance, pays for all those things. And the less money you bring in, you've still got the buildings, the less money you bring in, the less money you've got to take care of your house. And so that was really what really hurt Flint was when the charter schools started draining. And they always said that they're providing a better education. I don't believe that. I believe that if we would have concentrated that money and developed Flint schools, uh, we wouldn't have needed those charter schools. But uh, the, the state of Michigan approved them and a uh, number of charter schools did start siphoning off pupils from the school district and that that did hurt and and, and especially uh, at the elementary school level it seems that that the charter schools didn't have the money to run the more complicated parts of education that may not have been as profitable which would be uh, junior high middle school and then ultimately high school is there so many more programs that you have to run to be successful? Is that right? Well, yes. Charter schools are a for-profit organization. People have to realize charter schools are there to make money. So as a result, if you're making money, they're taking off some of that profit that they're getting from state aid money, and they're, they're making money off of, uh, off of education. The public schools did not do that. They, they were not a for-profit uh, organization. All the money that they received from state aid would go back in, and they weren't trying to make a profit. So as a result, when you start trying to have a, make a profit, what are you going to do? You're going to cut back activities. Uh, uh, I know it's funny. When I was at Grand Blank uh, Middle School, there were kids, parents whose kids went to charter schools, and they wanted their kids to participate in the athletic programs that we were providing at Grand Blank Middle School. Well, the Michigan High School Athletic Association, which we were under their rules and guidelines, said that you had to attend the school that you were playing for. And so I had to tell parents, well, you made a choice to send your child to a charter school, and that choice involves them not being able to participate in our after-school athletic program. And they, so they got a little upset, but I said, you know, the money that you are getting 
or your child is going to that charter school, I guess you need to go to that charter school and start pressuring them to develop some after-school athletic programs for the kids at that school. It well, is, again, yeah, if, if you're, you're trying to raise money and trying to get a profit, you're not going to provide all those things. That's right. Now, it, it seems to me as I look at the Flint Public School District, um, essentially what you have is a reversal of what the trend had been for the good part of the um, 60s, 70s, and even some part of the 80s, but the, the charter school movement, the decline of the public schools in Flint have essentially changed a racial uh, composition of the school and created a segregated school, more or less. Would you agree with that? Well, it, it's hard to say, you know, which is, I'll tell you what really hurt, really hurt Flint, and I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the charter schools, the loss of jobs in Flint. When they closed Fisher 1, Fisher 2, Buick City, Chevy in the Hole, AC, there's a lot of parents who worked there in those factories and lived in Flint. Well, when they closed those factories, a lot of people left Flint because of that, not because the school district, but because they had to go where the jobs were. And so I really hold uh, GM accountable for the loss of a lot of students. We lost a big tax base when the factories closed down. We were, they were giving money to the schools through a tax base and that uh, really hurt. GM took a lot from the Flint community for years. And then as far as I'm concerned, they left us high and dry. So I'm a little bitter about the way General Motors handled that. And then started, started outsourcing uh, jobs to Mexico, China, other places, instead of hiring and, and, and providing jobs for people in the Flint community. What we've got to come back is have some manufacturing jobs to get some more jobs for people in Flint and maybe we can start attracting people back. I would love to see on the main campus at Central and Whittier tear down those schools, build a big major high school there, call it Charles Stewart Mott Classical Academy, whatever you want. You've got the Institute of Arts, you've got the Institute of Music, you've got the Planetarium, you've got the uh, uh, Whiting Auditorium, you've got Mott College right there, Flint Public Library, what a place to have a middle school, high school campus. And then along with that, build a sports complex facility on another site where these kids can then go and develop those athletic abilities uh, and, and then, then go on and get scholarships. A lot of kids in Flint got scholarships from playing athletics. Now, uh, Skip, you've done a lot more than just work at schools. You've been involved in the community in other ways, particularly big brothers and big sisters. Some communities don't have it in Flint. In Jesse County, we've had Big Brothers Big Sisters for many years. Uh, and one of your best friends, as I understand, is uh, Duncan Beagle, who in many ways uh, has been uh, uh, probably the biggest cheerleader in Flint for that program. Tell us a little bit about your activities outside of work at, at, at uh, the school districts that you've been at. Well, I was the, uh, in the summers, uh, there were several summers where I was the director of the 5K, 10K Buick City Road Race. And we had over a thousand runners participate in that. For a couple of years, I was a director of the Mecca three-on-three -three basketball tournament, which took place in downtown Flint. And we did that in conjunction with the Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, and Duncan Beagle has been very instrumental. He has been, like you said, the major cheerleader. He was involved with the Atwood uh, Stadium renovations and, and, and other things. And uh, Duncan is very, very strong supporter of Flint. Uh, I, I'm glad to call him a friend. Yes. Now, going back to your, uh, your many years, I know football and, and athletics in general is a love of yours. And Flint has become 
you know, it still is seen across our nation as a uh, as a sports town. It's interesting to read in the paper here recently. They put the ten, uh, you know, highest drafted players from Flint in there, and it was quite a was quite a read with uh, Hall of Fame ba uh, football players and and uh, quite an amazing group. Uh, everybody from Paul Krause, Reggie Williams, uh, Brandon Carr, Mark Ingram. I don't want to leave anybody off. Um, Lynn Chad Noyce from uh, my my uh, alma mater, Michigan State, who who had Rick Leach, Rick Leach from your high school alma mater. He did, he did, but he didn't play uh, professional uh, football. He played professional baseball for a period. Right for ten for ten years. But I guess going back into looking at that, what is it that makes these young people who come from Flint, and we still, you know, they may not come from the Flint school district, but they're coming from other places still yet today. What is it that makes this area um, such a um, high growth zone, if you will, for professional athletes? I think it goes back to the elementary schools when they are giving good guidance and direction, learning the fundamentals of the different sports, and then they refine these uh, skills at the middle school and high school level. And that was one thing as community school directors, we all had sports teams at our elementary school and we got these kids in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade and had them playing flag football, had them playing uh, your organized basketball, had them playing uh, baseball or whatever. And uh, we just don't have that as much anymore. So I attribute a lot of those athletes, if you look back into their, their past, they had some very good guidance and coaching, not just at the high school level, but going all the way back to elementary school. Skip, when you were uh, coming along in Flint, who were some of your mentors? Oh gosh, some of my mentors? Oh shoot. Uh, well, Dan Cady was definitely one of my mentors. Um, uh, Vince Olszewski, who was a principal of Southwestern, was one of my mentors. Um, Oh, and guys that I worked with, John Clothier, uh, some of these guys who had been community school directors before I got there, they, they really helped bring me along and, and it helped me because you always had support. If you had a problem, you call one of those guys up and sure enough, they'd help you solve it. So there, there's a I, I, too, too many to mention as far as my mentors. There, anybody I came into contact with who had more experience than I tried to learn from them. Just like when I worked for Ron Barnett as the assistant principal at Longfellow, one of the greatest uh, principals I had worked for. Uh, and so I learned a lot from him as how to be an administrator, how to work with staff, how to uh, be a leader. And uh, I, I think I'm just trying to pick the best. Uh, one of my biggest ones, I forgot to mention him, was Bob Leach. He was my uh, football coach at Ferris State. Uh, very, very big mentor for me. I really enjoyed playing football for him. And as you know, he coached at Flint Central for a number of years. Then he went on to coach at Ferris State. Then he wanted to coach the uh, St. Louis Cardinals as assistant coach in pro football. Wow, amazing. Now, at, the, at Ferris, you said it was an undefeated team. And, and who were some of your teammates that we might know? Oh, he, coach Leach recruited from the Flint area. Tommy Hamlet was an All-American that year. He played at Flint Northern, graduated in 68. Gary Alford started at defensive end. He played at Southwestern. Uh, Dave Gardy came back. He graduated in 65 was in the Marine Corps, went to Vietnam, came back and played at Ferris. Um, oh, shoot, there's a, I think that I counted there about eight or 10 kids from the Flint schools 
and about another five or six from the parochial schools that played. Uh, Richie Green from Atherton, uh, Alec Kennedy from Davison, uh, Tom Monroe from Kersley. Um, shoot, I, I'm trying to think, don't miss anybody, but you know, there were, and we just had our 50 year reunion of our undefeated team and about 20, 30 of the guys came back. It was really, really neat. Some of, some of our players, our teammates have passed on, but a lot of them are still around and we always swap stories and we, we're always better now than we were back then. You know how that goes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for really, for sure. Now, uh, Skip, uh, you grew up in, uh, in a neighborhood in, in the south end of Flint and it just as luck has had it here with this um, Radio Free Flint project that I've undertaken where I'm doing personal uh, history interviews. Uh, it seems like I got stuck in that neighborhood for some reason uh, and I've interviewed some pretty interesting people. How would you describe that that neighborhood in general? What what would what 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 was it made it such a special place? Well one thing, you know, back then you most families there was a mom and a dad. Uh, I don't remember too many of kids that I grew up with that were came from divorced families. So you got a mom and a dad in that home and usually the dad was the breadwinner and mom was the June Cleaver staying at home. And that was the traditional family thing. So I think that really added to uh, the support that kids had. If you went up to a baseball game, you saw a lot of parents on the sidelines. You, you know, uh, they, or if there's an away game, you see parents driving their kids to the game. So the parental support in, in, the, in, in a lot of the Flint communities, especially the Freeman School area, was tremendous. Uh, and uh, really, I, I, when I mentioned mentors, I guess my dad was my number one mentor. For sure. Now, uh, Skip, if you had any advice uh, for the people of Flint that somebody would take, what might that be? Well, don't lose faith. Don't give up. See what you can do to uh, make the community better. Uh, don't just complain. Uh, if it's a matter of getting involved politically uh, or being a volunteer at a school or, or running for a school board position or running from a city council, but be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. I think that's the big thing. And stay in Flint. You know, I, I've stayed in Flint, and, but a lot of my friends have moved out of Flint. It's uh, the exodus says, I, I know a lot of people support Flint. And when I look at some of these supporters, none of them live in Flint anymore, but they, they love Flint. They grew up in Flint and they'll really brag about Flint, but they don't live in Flint. So I guess we need to keep the ones we got and try to get some of them to move back. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with this project is at least bring Flint to them for the minute and maybe uh, they'll get inspired by people like you. Skip Harbin, uh, I could talk to you for a long time. Uh, I first met you uh, on that hard surfaced uh, field out there behind McKinley School when you were a high school uh, senior. And you were trying to teach me how to be a fullback, which- <laughs> Did it work? Did, it, did, I, did I help you or hurt you? <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, I, I wish I had a few, a few moves, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have the speed in those days. And then after I, uh, seen what was happening with Whittier and all the great players that played on that team, about 10 of them went to, into Division One NCAA Division One football. I think they beat our team like 90 to nothing or something. <laughs> and uh, I realized that maybe baseball was, a lot, was more my, 
more my sport. And uh, so that's how that kind of unfolded. But I still play golf and, uh, I, and I love sports as you do. And I wanna say this and on behalf of many people out there who have nothing but the highest regard for you. You are the epitome of what it means to be a Flintstone. And Thank you. when I look back uh, at all the things that I've done myself, uh, there are people like you who are just the bedrock of that town. And so I admire what you've done. And uh, I know you enjoy your retirement and keep, keep my beloved South End of Flint uh, in line. <laughs> I'll try to do the best I can. I just still live down the street from Freeman School where you used to, uh, I was talking to Jeff Natchez the other day and he talked about playing some of those Sandlot football games we had. And he said that what toughened him up to play uh, football in high school and baseball and go on to play uh, semi-professional ball and professional ball. We, we, had some, we had some tremendous players that would, would join up on a Sunday afternoon uh, at both at McKinley and Freeman. And, uh, and some of those kids went on to play in college. And, and Jeff, the other day, was reminiscing about Paul Krause, who's a NFL mm -hmm. famer, uh, some say the best athlete to come from our area. I don't know how you measure that. But he was one hell of an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that also ended my football career because I got injured and I had to have knee surgery. So when Dar Christensen came, I had to – tell him the unfortunate news was that I couldn't continue to practice with his team because I had, um, I had to rehab that injury. So in any event, uh, next time I'll have you interview me and I'll tell my story. Sounds good to me. Take care, Skip, and stay inside. Hopefully, uh, I know that you'd give that advice to everybody who's listening. Please stay at home just a little bit longer. It's not going to be that much longer, hopefully. But uh, for now, uh, this is Radio Free Flint. Uh, you're, you're, uh, Host Arthur Bush and guest today, Skip Harbin, wish you a very nice day and uh, hasta luego. Bye-bye. Ready?
Continue. 